This morning we continue our series on the Ten Commandments since this Thursday has been graciously given to us as an additional day off. We're moving that day to today. We have a misprint in our bulletin. This is the Ninth Commandment today, not the Eighth. Please join me then in the Ninth Commandment and explanation. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not craftily seek to gain our neighbor's inheritance or home, nor get it by a show of right, but help and serve him in keeping it. You may be seated. When I was in college here at Bethany, there was a man who was working on our campus one summer with me. He was probably in his early 50s. And I found out in talking to him that he had previously owned a rather large truck, trucking company in South Dakota. Uh, said that he owned as many as 50 semis. But a few years earlier than when I met him, he had gotten sick, was in the hospital, and while in the hospital, he gave power of attorney to one of his co-workers, and that individual went and legally stole away from him his entire business to the point that he had to sell his house and finally move his family over here to Mankato. Even though it had all been done legally and properly, uh, it still was a very evil act, of course, that somebody should take away his very property and livelihood and ultimately uh, his very home as well. The words of the ninth commandment that we just read, recorded for us in Exodus 20, were first read officially to the children of Israel as they were on the great exodus from Egypt, where God had preserved them now and brought them out of Egypt from the hand of the Pharaoh. And as Moses read those words, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, I wonder if it resonated even more so down inside of them than it might for us because they had just come out of a situation where they had been deprived for generations of their very property, deprived for generations of being able to choose what they would do to support their livelihood. Many of their goods had been taken from them, all by proper authority of the state, all by official decrees of the state, legally done. And yet, they had been so mistreated, even to the point that their little infant baby boys were supposed to be killed at birth. Now this had all been done legally through the government process. A mandate by those in power had stripped them of so much and it had gotten so bad that God finally interceded and with the night of the great Passover brought them now out into this exodus. We're told that during the exodus, uh, they had with them a lot of jewelry and items that they had gotten from the Egyptians. We're told this in Exodus. The Lord had given the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians that night that they left so that they granted them what they requested and thus they plundered the Egyptians. And yet how sadly ironic, if you remember the story, that they took these very goods that they were able to get from the Egyptians as they left the country and waiting too long for Moses to come down from the mountain, they turn to Aaron and choose to take these very things and melt them down and fashion them into a new god, representative of one of the gods of the Egyptians with the golden calf. What a sad commentary on the hearts of sinful human beings like us. 
uh, that can receive so many great blessings from God and yet so quickly turn against him. So looking at this commandment, each of us needs to ask ourselves, how do I strive to gain things from my neighbor that, that maybe really don't belong to me? The sin of coveting is something that takes place inside of the heart. It means to wrongly desire something that doesn't belong to you and then to seek to figure out a way to get it away from someone else. It's not merely wanting something or hoping to earn enough money to buy something. That's a godly way of, of attaining property or things. But it's when you allow yourself to develop an evil desire to gain something that is not yours. And when the practice of gaining someone else's property is done in a way that's loveless, that's really what the point of this commandment is. When we do it in a loveless way, when we're not really considering what is best for our neighbor, for him or her. Even if attaining that property is done in a way that's legal. Even if it's done in a way that, that people agree to, if you will. I often think about going into casinos. Okay, think about when you go into casinos, you're seeking to gain the money that belongs to other people that they really would prefer to keep. And we've devised some type of game now to work it out in a legal way to make it so that you can gain that property from somebody else. Is it possible that this is also a way that at times we're coveting? That we really aren't wanting what's going to be best for our neighbor? Listen to what Luther says in explaining this commandment in the large catechism. We are forbidden to deprive our neighbor of anything of his own, even when in the eyes of the world we could honorably do it, without any accusation or blame for fraudulent dealing. Right here in our country, the laws of our land at times have deprived people of their property, have deprived people of their very land and their ability to make a living, sometimes based upon their race, sometimes maybe based upon their religion or the fact that they're not quite from the right social status. This land that we're sitting on right here is part of Blue Earth County. Back in the 1800s when this was being settled by European settlers, if you look back in the documents of Blue Earth County, if you brought the scalp of a Native American to get them off of this county, if you found and killed a Native American and brought their scalp to the county headquarters, they would pay you $15 for that. Just think how wicked and evil that is, even though the state had approved of that. And there are other subtle forms of covetousness and breaking this commandment that we can see in other, other ways as well. Have you ever noticed after a tornado goes through an area or maybe a hurricane hits a certain area that at a lot of the, at a lot of the hardware stores, certain items, the price doubles and triples? Down in Florida, I was down there during a hurricane and they had to pass a law that you could not make a generator, uh, a price of a generator, any more than four times higher than it was. Talk about an example of gouging people, legally, and the state would permit it. And even maybe everybody in the land would approve of it. Is it really thinking for what's best for our neighbors? During the Civil War, the, there were two sisters by the last name of Grimke, 
uh, right before the Civil War that lived down in the South. And they were Christian women that loved to read the Bible. And it bothered them to drive by farm after farm and plantation after plantation and see so many slaves that had been deprived of property themselves. And so they began to write letters to the Christian women, to the Christian women in the homes of these slave owners. And basically saying to them, quoting Bible passages, you need to convince your husbands of this evil, of how wrong this really is. Listen to what St. Paul writes to us as Christians. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I want you to notice something here. How Paul takes um, how we treat other people and how we look at other people, and he ties that directly to Calvary. He ties it directly to the cross. He puts it right into the wounds of your Savior. And he basically says, think about how, how the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been toward you and me. Think how he thought of you first above himself. Even though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty someday might become rich. Think what, what blessings we have received and have waiting for us in heaven because somebody thought of you more than themselves. What a beautiful depiction of that kind of love that we have in Christ. The cross of our Lord Jesus is really the ultimate depiction of placing the interests of others over yourself. You and I have been beneficiaries of that. We've had all of our sins forgiven. We have absolute peace with God. We have the, the hope of going to heaven someday and living in the palaces, the mansions that are so amazing and fantastic they can't be described in the right words to us on earth because it's beyond what any eye has seen or ear has heard. And this is all because of the perfect love of Christ that has been shown toward us. It's interesting how often in the Bible God reminds us, probably over a hundred times, to take care of the poor, to be thoughtful of the poor. Our Lord Jesus has come to win for us a different inheritance than the one of this life that we might get, the property that we might have in this life. And when we understand that, it changes our hearts about the things of this life. Back at the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther probably struggled with a lot of different sins, but he seemed to really have a, a heart for, for um, showing love to the poor and taking care of other people and giving his money away. At times, his wife had to almost prevent him from giving it all away. But Pope Leo, the pope at the time, made this comment about Luther. It's an interesting one. This German beast cares nothing for gold. This German beast cares nothing for gold. That's a, that's a wonderful moniker to be given to the children of Christ in this world, that we care nothing for gold. And having a proper understanding of the eternal inheritance that's waiting for us, that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And what a tremendous blessing that is, all because of the love that we don't deserve because God himself thought more of you than himself. How you and I should look at this commandment in a different light. Amen.